0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Today, I have traveled to meet the wonderful storekeeper second class, Sean Hurley. He is a prior army infantryman, and he lateraled over to the Coast Guard. So we're going to do a special two-episode series. The first one will entail his prior service in the army in the process of transitioning over to the Coast Guard. And then the second episode will cover his life as a storekeeper and what we do as a storekeeper rate. The first episode, like I said, will be dedicated to his prior service in the Army and that transition with Coast Guard. So without further ado,
1: here is SK2 Hurley. Hello, Steven Giacomozzi. My name is uh, Petty Officer Sean Hurley. I am originally from a city called Chicopee in Massachusetts. Born June 26, 1986, so I am an elder millennial, Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much me. So right now we're sipping some good
0: uh, whiskey out of these nice Crown Royal cups with the uh, ice cube bullets that
1: you have. And Uh, I actually, yeah, I haven't, um, it's funny that you mention that, like, you know, I haven't taken a sip yet, because, you know, you're in my house, we should cheers first before we do that, so cheers, cheers, Um, Hmm. Oh, very strong, very nice bourbon. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Bourbon's my favorite. What kind of bourbon is this? This is a um, High West, so you know, fairly affordable, but a good a good sipping whiskey. My favorite sipping whiskey though is Woodford Reserve, and I got plenty more of that just in case we run out. So we'll it is very tasty. We'll probably end up having a couple glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, <laughs> please, very please. good. By all means, go for it. Anywho, back to talking about
0: your life. Yes. So you grew up in Whist- Massachusetts. <laughs> I did. Yes. <laughs> and what made you
1: decide to enlist in the army? Uh, growing out. Oh, I mean, there's just so many factors like that goes with like the culture of my family, um, events like in life that happened around my coming of age that really, really just pushed me into a direction. I mean, without getting like too crazy into the reads of my family, I'm like a fourth generation soldier. I mean, we've, we've been riflemen in my family going back to, his majesty's army honestly like it's been like an unbroken line so while there wasn't the expectation that i would do the same thing like the fact that i was aware of that tradition and that history no one put pressure on me to carry that on but i put pressure on myself to carry that legacy on if that makes any sense in every prior generation, had served in the army. Yep, whether it be the British or the American, starting with my uh, great grandfather William Patrick, he uh, emigrated here from London and got drafted into the U.S. Army in World War One. World War One. World War One. Yes, So you have a long legacy
0: of military history. Yes, the yes. Stories. So your great grandfather served in World War One. Your yep. grandfather
1: served. Uh my grandfather landed at Normandy actually at Omaha Beach. So World War Two grandfather and yep. then your father was in the army? During... Yeah, he was in Korea. Okay. That's a Korean. whole that's a whole nother do the math, that's a whole nother subject, but yeah. So they they've all seen
0: such experiences in the army and they probably passed that on to you as yes. you were growing up and getting ready to enlist in the army, so yeah. You left high school and then you decide to enlist right out of high school or
1: did you wait a while or Um so you know, once again I said the the date I was born, so around the time of nine eleven that put me at like fifteen years old. And well, you know, I'm a native northeasterner. Like I like most people was, you know, affected. That, that was like I know we, we like to break up our generations into like millennial, Gen Z. I consider like elder millennials like more of like the nine eleven generation. We were just we were in high school, middle school, whatever. And boom, we saw that. And it had a profound effect on me. Like it it really did. Like, you know, I've never been like hyper like nationalistic or anything like that, but I am patriotic. And I made a vow like that day, I was just like, Yeah, I'm doing something about this. Well, what's the best thing I can do? Like right or wrong, like what's the best thing I could do? I was like, Well, I guess I'll get into the family business. Right, because, you know, I was only three or four years old at the time,
0: so it didn't have the same impact. Yeah, I'm an old head. People my age. (laughs) (laughs) We'll call you old. 30-something years young. (laughs) 36. (laughs) (laughs) 36. So... When you have that age in high school, and everyone's, of course, you know, you're logical thinkers in high school. Yep. And there's just a sense of patriotism that's coming over the country. Yeah. Did you find a lot of people were starting to make those career decisions to oh,
1: yes, absolutely. want to join I the military? Oh, yes, absolutely. there was 2001 to, like, when I left 2005, it was a weird time. Like America is such a different nation at that point. I mean, yeah, the, the 90s were kind of halcyon. Like, we grew up in relative peace. And it's crazy for people like your age, Jocko. You've only known America, like, at war. It Only, you know, only recently have we not had an active engagement um, where American soldiers could, you know, unfortunately die in service to their nation. But for me, I didn't grow up in a world like that. I grew up, like, one of my earliest memories was the Berlin Wall falling and my mom, who, you know, had many friends in West Germany, was just, like, extremely happy. Like, we'd finally defeated the communists. Like, it was... You know, America was the undisputed hegemon. It, you know, we were going to have the Pax Americana, and that's literally what I grew up in. Like coming out of that Cold War. Yeah, era. and it was almost like if conflict was almost like outdated. Like America was unchallenged. Oh, we were the best, and yeah, we had the first Gulf War, but that was over in a matter of weeks. Like the thought that we could be engaged in long protracted wars again was just so foreign, or that anyone would have the audacity. To make a move against the United States, whether they be state-sponsored or like you know part of a you know a regular group, was wild. Well, that's what I'm saying is that seeing that at that age and mm-hmm. you know
0: invigorating that nationalism was yeah. like profound across all the services. Oh yeah, not just the army, uh, not just the Coast yeah. Guard, but yeah. every service was getting filled with all these people around young same volunteers. Age, some right.
1: people that wouldn't you wouldn't even think that would do it were just doing it. I mean, it was. You know, I mean, I, I feel like the Army was getting over its quota at that time. You know, that was just, like, akin to, like, any, like, any other, like, time and period. Like, you know, the guys that fought in Vietnam, they, you know, they were, like, they were older by that point. so they they could tell you, hey, man, war's no game. But, you know, unless you really experience it, you don't truly know. And let me tell you, my generation experienced it.
0: Right, going overseas, and yep. we had those profound, long conflicts in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. all throughout the early 2000s, and many, many people saw. Defined our generation. That is the millennial generation. Yep. All right, so you end up going to basic training in mm-hmm. the yep. Army. Now, was that any special training because of the times we were in, being wartime, gearing up? So
1: the thing you have to understand about the army versus like say like the coast guard which you're familiar with is certain jobs like your basic training and your specialty is all combined into one big long thing it's called a uh, one station unit training um osut so me who was combat arms uh I was 11 bravo uh, it, which is uh, basically the term for rifleman so when you go to basic training at that time once again, this was a long time ago I don't know how it is now but you would go up to Fort Benning. Fort Benning is where airborne school is, where the infantry gets trained, um, where ranger school is, all that stuff. It's the home of the infantry. So when you get there, you're either gonna be you enlist under eleven X ray, that's like open ended infantry, and you're either gonna be eleven Bravo or eleven Charlie and it's a complete roll of the dice. And eleven Bravo is your normal rifleman. Eleven Charlie is a mortarman. And you ended up being an eleven Bravo. Yep, ended up being like rifleman. like most people, eleven Bravo uh rifleman. So, yeah, Yeah, I left, uh, June 19th, 2005 was when I left for boot camp. So, 2005,
0: prior... because Basic training. Prior to, uh, going that route as the infantryman, you had an interest in
1: firearms? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, uh, you know, my uncle who recently passed away, God rest his soul, uh, was a great guy, and he was, uh, we had some of my grandfather, my grandfather passed away when I was, you know, very, very young, but, you know, those were bequeathed to his daughter, um, so we kept them, so, I mean... I just grew up just going to the range shooting all the time. I learned how to shoot at a very young age. I mean, you know, also in the Boy Scouts as well. At that time, I don't know how it is now, but like it was by the time you were like 10, you know, everyone was, you know, shooting 22 LRs, like just your standard ones, really. Um, I, think I remember Knicker using Bruger. BB guns and Cub Scouts. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, and in, in, in Cub Scouts did, but in Boy Scouts, you were shooting that 22 long rifles and archery was just just how it goes, which is a very good program when you think when you're about to send a generation to to war that <laughs> you had had organizations like that exist but yeah and i mean but also like you know my uncle taught me more than anyone else ever could so that's like it was good to have an advantage and a basic knowledge and not only that but a respect for firearms when i left for the army because i was with some kids that you know were from like new york or something like that never touched one in their lives before they got there so for me qualifications was fairly easy like rifle just, you have an experience yeah shape. yeah
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so walk me through. You end up going through basic training. Uh, The basic training part before your infantry school part, was that eight weeks like Coast Guard boot camp is? So
1: it's not really broken up like that. What we would have is we would have like different phases. You'd have like red phase, blue phase. I, I think there was like a green phase and a white phase at the end of it. And that was like intensity. And once again, this was 2005. So different world, different army different purposes at that time my drill sergeants were like they brought up a bunch of veterans from the initial invasion of iraq in 2003 to train us so we were getting pushed fairly hard (laughs) like guys who had seen combat yeah i don't know i don't know if by today's standards some of those things would fly my personal belief i think it was necessary our enemy was going to show us no mercy so why should our drill sergeants that but that's just my personal personal belief but yeah so you had, you had like the fir- for the first month was absolute awesome <laughs> and by awesome I mean oh god yeah we uh got beat pretty hard definitely lost a lot of weight um not much sleep um you couldn't do anything right I mean just like any boot camp scenario but like times 10 didn't get any mail for the first month so I didn't I didn't know if anyone cared about me or something like that. People knew you were still alive. Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I, was, I was allowed one phone call to let them know I'm alive, and then I couldn't make any phone calls the first month or anything like that. We were just cut off completely from the world to basically facilitate the, the transition of becoming an infantryman. Yeah, that's still pretty similar in boot camp. Sometimes they yeah. hold off your mail and stuff yeah. for Which the I, training you. part. I mean, I'm but, okay with that. I mean, you're um, you're forming someone to be a soldier or, you know, Coastie or Airman or whatever it is you're going to be. This is the military. It's not a game, so.
0: Right, yeah. and then
1: once you start getting that back, though, you had almost a much more
0: integrated training. So in the Coast Guard equivalent, if I was to go to A school to be a bosun's mate, yep, I would have the integrated training skills at my boot camp as yes. well and then graduate as a bosun's mate.
1: So, um, so non-combat um, arms is very similar to the way the Coast Guard is. You have your eight-week basic training, carte blanche that every support MOS goes through. Uh, MOS stands for Military Occupational Specialty. It's basically equivalent to the Coast Guard's rating, just in a different name. Yeah. So that that would be something someone in the Coast Guard is very familiar with. The problem is, or not the problem, but like it's 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 if you're trying to shape a soldier for a specific role. That is a little bit more intense or very purpose driven. Why not make that the end goal from the very start? So, infantry tends to be pushed harder, less sleep, more discipline, stuff like that, you know, because that's what it's going to be like at your first unit. Right. Compared to like support battalions. To get ready for what could happen. Yeah, whereas like support battalions tend to be a little bit more relaxed from what I've seen. So. But again, that was a while ago. (laughs) Well, following into that, then you left training as the infantryman. Now
0: you've left as an infantryman. Yeah. And where do you go from
1: there? Well, so the funny thing about, like, being an infantryman, and this was kind of cool, and I want to go back to when you asked about, like, what the training was like. At that time, it, it was an army in transition. I had a mix of, like, tactics of, I mean, I was still in the woods, camoing my face, tying burlap. To my to my Kevlar helmets and all that stuff really and practiced in open movements to like chain to to basically fight the Soviet Union, a threat that no longer existed at that time. I mean it's kind of funny' just given recent world events how certain things have like represented themselves but at that time I we were like training to fight for the last four. they were just beginning to integrate like mount military, military operations in urban terrain and that was fun. There was a famous place called uh, Mount McKenna. Um, anyone who's ever been a grunt knows that place very well, where you basically have to take a town from Op 4. And obviously we're using, like, Miles Gear, which is like a laser-integrated system and all that stuff. But we had to go house to house in stacks and all that stuff, basically fighting, like, you know, simulated insurgent forces. And traditionally we'd have a field training exercise, and my company was the first company that actually stayed on, like, a base and went out and did patrols in like simulated towns because before that it used to just be hey we're out and we're like you know we're bivouacking for like seven days so the ftx is a week long and then you do like a 26 mile rough march back to this place called honor hill and honor hill was where you they make this grog i don't know what the heck was in it uh and then you get your infantry rifles like pinned on you so Uh, We were the first ones to not just stay out, like, in the mud, just hating our lives, but actually, like, stay on, like, a little little fob, tents, and then, like, do patrols to get us used to, like, the combat we were actually going to be going to, which was that of an occupation force.
0: So that's where that transition was going away. The army doesn't sleep
1: in the trenches anymore. Army now sleeps in the tents. Yeah, that's what we were doing. I mean, obviously a conventional war. It's really funny because you see, like, and this is just me going a little bit off topic, but, like... I think the Army's doing something very smart right now with their uh, NGSW, which is, like, the next generation squad weapon um, program. Um, Moving back to, like, uh, battle rifle cartridge powers, like, you see, like, we're we're gearing up smartly to fight a near-peer adversary, whether, you know, I'm not going to say the nation's names, but we all know who they are, and I think that's absolutely smart. But at that time, I was going to the exact opposite, where... We are transitioning from a post-Cold War army into fighting, you know, irregular forces. And the army doesn't turn on a dime. It's it's kind of like a boat. Like, you know what I mean? Where, yeah, the rudder goes one way, but it needs to catch up. It doesn't all happen at once. Very slow change. Very slow changes. You can, like, watch it in real time. So, yeah. No, it was cool. it was very interesting to be a part of that. And even in 2005, we were still transitioning. Oh, I believe it. Just a couple of years ago, I mean, the military is still using Windows Vista and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Windows 10's out, but you know, it's a, just a good uh, example of like you know how the service takes a while to catch up with that stuff. Yeah, it does. Right. So, going back to
1: your training, now you've graduated training. Yep. You go overseas. Oh yes, yes. I actually, this was actually really cool. I got my contract. You know, I felt like if I was going to join the army. I was going to join the army. I wanted to have an adventure. I want... It was probably part of the reason why I joined, you know, the infantry. Even though, like, my aunt really did not want me to do that. The reason why, like, I... One of the main reasons why I was just like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and sign on this dot and line, no questions asked, was because I got Europe guaranteed in my orders. That was part of my contract. And I, after graduating for my four-month-long vacation at Fort Benning in uh, Columbus, Georgia, went to the 2nd Brigade... 1st Infantry Division specifically Charlie Company stationed in Schweinfurt, Germany. Germany. Yeah, Germany.
0: <laughs> so how was that for an experience going overseas to Germany as a young adult?
1: Oh god. I mean, well, for one it was different back then. I could do things in Germany that I couldn't do in the United States like legally. Alcohol consumption was still law of the land, um, so I could be 18 in my barracks and have know beer liquor whatever whereas like a private and like say Missouri or whatever just could not like or someone at Fort Hood could not they'd have to wait until they were 21 but that's just the way the service was at that time um it was it was just a big culture shock it's exactly what I wanted to go to a foreign country especially one as beautiful filled with history as Germany was and my mother like once again like she spent some time in West Germany you know as a, as a young woman and I was like, man, I got to experience that myself. So I did. Just wow. Like, I'm kind of sad that I, uh, (laughs) kind of sad that my uh, time there got interrupted by other things, but oh well. Well, that's what I was wondering is because,
0: you know, we're still in a high conflict time that Mm -hmm. you're talking about here. When you're stationed in Germany, you're still
1: liable to be moved if needed. Yeah, so um, doing the math, you know obviously if i enlisted in 2005 we all know what was going on around then um units would get orders like rotating orders and you know i was there for like maybe six months when we got our orders to go to iraq and your whole unit moved to iraq then oh yeah except for people that were like you know kept back on rear detachment because of like medical issues or all that stuff like dudes that were like wounded badly in the the previous deployment of my unit the year before, like, you know, when I wasn't in, they were still kept back there, but everyone else, oh yeah, we were going. Okay, so you end up going to Iraq, and then how long of the tour did you stay there during uh, the time, We were one of the first uh, battalions to, we didn't get grandfathered under the 12-month, we got we got put under the 15-month rule, so when they implemented it, they did that, which was not a lot of fun, especially since some of the guys in our unit actually got stop-lossed, um, and we had one guy who was, like, literally, like... God, I think he was, like, a month or two, maybe, from getting out. And then he was within that 90-day window. And he was just like, dang it. <laughs> like, a new... Ah, got him. So he ended up spending about 18 more months in the Army than he had originally uh, planned on. Wow.
0: I just... I, I can't even grab it to because of the times now. It's so different than mm-hmm. being
1: back then. is like... They were doing everything... It wasn't so long. I mean, I was live then. Yeah. You know, they were doing no everything to avoid political pressure at home. Like, the administration at that time was doing everything that it could to avoid instituting a draft. So they'd right. be calling people back on their IIR, stop lossing, doing whatever they had to do, le- relaxing entry standards. I mean, I served with people that were felons. Like, you know, but God says we're all, you know, redeemable, and some of those guys were very good soldiers, so... Right, so you ended up doing your 15 month tour there mm-hmm. And it's a pretty high stress environment So Yeah, it was stressful for sure But I always say this I've never felt more imprisoned yet more free in my life Than that 15 months in Baghdad Life was just boiled down to essential You know what I mean, survival Just like base needs And ju- it was just, it was wild But it so. was terrifying but also awesome Well, I don't have a lot of experience
0: relation to that because you have peacetime, but I'd say exactly what you're saying on the Army base in Djibouti, Africa, it was the same thing, was that it was very much mission, 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 because Mm -hmm. you're overseas in deployment doing the mission.
1: Little things don't really matter, uh, and it was kind of very freeing. Like the day-to-day trivialities, you know, like we live in a world where people just turn on the dime and just get outraged over like the whatever is on the news and for me like at that time and it's it's affected me profoundly throughout the rest of my life like it's hard for me to actually be moved by much like growing up i was a very like emotional passionate kid and i mean i i I still say i am but i focus my energy on what i think actually matters correct right yeah if that makes any sense and and that and that 15 months in baghdad taught me that
0: yeah, the experience
1: shaped you. Yeah. For, you know, oh, absolutely. For sure. In many ways, yes.
0: Well, I'd like to carry into that conversation then mm-hmm. was, based on this time in the Army that you had, when you ended up separating from the Army, was, was it was pretty clear after
1: four years that you were going to be leaving the Army? Were you ready to leave? Yes. Um, if I could go back, like at that moment in time, I might have re-enlisted and stayed in. But... I was determined to have varied experiences in my life. I've always been like that. And also, you know, to be frank, I had lost quite a few friends in, in the tour that I was in. I mean, we had the deadliest tour for any European combat base brigade since Vietnam. Like, I think my freaking company was at, like, 27% Purple Hearts or something like that. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, There's a guy I know. He, um, he passed away not too long ago. I won't say his name, but he was one of the 22-a-day that we lose, unfortunately, to suicide um, in the veteran community. He told me, there's only so many times you can play with a snake before you get bit. And I was like, you're right. And I had a couple close calls over there. I mean, you've been on watch with me. I always, like, I'm on the left side of my ear. you got to really, like, speak up or I'm not going to hear it. Um, that, that statement stuck with me. There is only so many times... You can play with a snake before you get bit. And to me, fate is... It's a, it is its what it is. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, you could be the most skilled soldier in the world. Sometimes, it's all a game of luck, you know? You're not on that patrol. You're sitting in one seat. The other guy's sitting in the other. Little things like that determine whether you get home or, you know, check out prematurely in your 20s. And I, for one, I've never been a big gambler. So I was done. Right. And, yeah. You know, you all hear
0: stories of just like those mines in the ground, like that, that yeah. can like change the difference, just like you said, from one seat to the other. Yeah. So, it really was a risk of fate every time
1: you go out there. You know, you're playing the odds. And yeah. So, not, but more than just that, I mean, whatever de- you know, there's one thing guaranteed in life, and that's a death. I, I, you know, I learned about mortality at a very young age because of those experiences, and I just determined, especially throughout most of my early twenties, that I was just gonna. You know, as the kids say nowadays, send it. So that's just what I did. And I was like, you know what? I needed some time out of the service. I need to be a little selfish. I need to heal. I've been through some experiences. I'm getting out.
0: So that's what I did. And how old were you when you left the Army? 22. So you were 22 years old. You left the service. You had done four years serving in the Army.
1: And what did you do afterwards? Well, you know, it's, once again, going on the... Vein of conversation, like, you know, send it. Um, I had a roommate of mine and I was at my second unit. It was called the Division Special Troops Battalion in Fort Drum, New York, with the uh, 10th Mountain Division. I loved Fort Drum. Like, upstate New York is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. It's about 30 minutes from the Canadian border. I highly recommend it. They call it the sportsman's paradise. Like, I knew lots of guys that just stayed there for 20 years because they were avid hunters. You know, it was just, it was beautiful. I loved it. I was close enough to where I could go home to Massachusetts on a long four-day weekend if I really wanted to. If I had stayed in the Army, I probably just would have stayed at Fort Drum, to be honest. I was close to home, and I loved it. Great unit. Um, so I can't say enough about the 10th Mountain Division Light Infantry. It's hard. You ruck a lot. You know, it wasn't the mechanized I was used to. But you know what? Work hard, play hard. <laughs> that's mm. And that that's what the 10th Mountain Division was. And at that time, I had a buddy of mine who uh, was from... Las Vegas, actually. And we were hooligans, acting like 22-year-olds do. Had lots of crazy adventures involving what we're drinking right now. Um, And he looked at me, and my plan was just to go back home to Massachusetts, go to college, maybe become a state trooper or something. You know, like, which is funny, me being a cop. Like, now that I look back on it. But, like, at that time, I was like, you know, maybe I'll I'll be a state trooper or something like that back home in Massachusetts. And he says, yeah, you could do that, or... Why don't you just use our post nine eleven GI bill? Because um, the post nine eleven GI bill was passed by Congress, signed into law by President Obama at that point in time. That like, hey, we're gonna give you, you know, we're basically gonna pay for your school, and you're gonna get E five plus plus dependents pay to basically like go wherever you wanted to sustain. for school. Yeah, and pay it to that area, and that is great. I, like honestly, like I, I love that so much. Like it was just it gave returning veterans like a chance to rehabilitate into the community and you know yeah they gave up four years of their lives for you know the mission so the least we can do as a people is allow them to get that opportunity to reach into the american middle class without debt you know like and i think i think i think that was really good like like on all levels of government house congress the president they that was like a very consequential piece of legislation that has helped an innumerable amount of veterans, and I can't thank everyone involved enough for that. But yeah, so so we so we did that, and I thought to myself, and I was like, okay, I could go back to Massachusetts, settle down, and you know never leave and just die there, you know, eventually. But twenty-two years old, I was not in the mood to settle down. I thought maybe thought about for maybe like three seconds, and I was like, let's send it to Vegas, let's go. So you went and had the party of your life. <laughs> oh! Boehner of a time. I, You know what? I did? It's exactly like... Was it the best decision I ever made? I will say yes. And the reason I say that is because... That is what I wanted to do at exactly that time. And that's what I needed to do. I said I wanted to be accountable to no one but myself for a little bit. And I wanted to just live. However, in order to get in-state tuition... Because I went to, uh, I applied to the College of Southern Nevada. Um, In order to get in-state tuition, I actually had to be still a member of the Armed Forces at that time. So I joined the Army Reserve, actually, because they had an Army Reserve unit in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was this weird thing where, like, I was thinking the National Guard, but it was like this weird red tape thing where I still wasn't yet a resident of Nevada, But if I did the reserves, like, it was just, it was just, like, the the school's policy at that time. So I was like, okay, well, then I guess I'll just go do the reserves and get, and I got um, sent to, like, basically a trucker battalion. Like, I think it was called the 257th uh, Motor Transport Battalion, or company. I can't remember. It's been so long. Or was it 259, I think it ah, was.
0: Would that be one of those guys that just drives the uh, trucks around? Yeah, and it was really cool. It was really
1: cool. Yeah. like I actually considered going back active duty army, just being a truck driver. Like it was, it was nice and relaxed. I was sick of being a grunt at that point. So in the army, you can actually have multiple ratings or MOSs as they're called. So you have a primary and a secondary. I was still an 11 Bravo and I was also an 88 Mike, like a truck driver. And it was really cool. So I got to go to like this school for my drill that year, um, for my, my two weeks, uh, to do, uh basically like their condensed like 88 Mike School in like w- w- Yakima, Washington. And that was great because, you know, it's, I was still able to get like, you know, healthcare and all that fun stuff. Uh, I used the, my drill pay to pay for my car insurance, you know. So yeah, no, it was good. It was definitely a, a good decision all around to still stay within the service. Um, but then of course, you know, that was only one week in a month, two weeks of the year. The rest of the time, I was basically a civilian and I lived the life of a college student and the problem was, was the VA was taking too long with my payments for every semester for me to get paid. I, it, would, it would be so late and I'd be like struggling. I'd be like, dude, I don't know if I can pay rent. I don't know if I can eat right now. And what I would do is I'd file my claim well ahead of time and I would end up getting back pay. So I'd, I'd be like dead broke and be like, oh my God, how am I going to make it to the next month? And then boom, I get like five grand in my account, like out of nowhere. It was absolutely wild. Um, just a random payment, no lo- rhyme or reason as to when,
0: it, where. Because it the from. VA finally processed like, no my claim,
1: so it took a little while. Like, am so well, not. So a big... they
0: backlog that payment too, then.
1: Yeah, yeah so they back. Yeah, they did. It was one of I'm not. I'm just one of the reasons why i have kind of like very anti bureaucratic. <laughs> like mm-hmm. experiences like that. But I ended up taking a night job to make ends meet. So I ended up working at this. Uh, at a very posh nightclub called uh, a um, in Las Vegas. And also I also worked at Lavo, and that ended up being like my primary branch, but it, it was a wild job. I mean, I just did it for extra money, but you know, you, you kind of get sucked into like the whole nightlife industry. Like, obviously I wasn't doing anything crazy, but I definitely had a lot of fun and it was crazy. Like any, you can name any of the A-list celebrities of the 2010s. I guarantee you, I guarded them at one point. Or, oh wow!
0: So you were like a bouncer guard there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it wasn't like your normal like, like here out in Newport, you're like some dude just sitting out there like checking IDs. Like I mean, yeah, there were people that checked IDs, uh, but everyone everyone that I worked with was either ex-military or like had like a a, a background in some type of fighting style because they weren't just taking anyone. You had to like look good in a suit and all that stuff because you know you had a lot of high-profile people. I mean, Jesus Christ, we had princes from Dubai coming in and Jordan and stuff it was it, it was nuts so they, you weren't you couldn't just be joe schmoe off the street working there
0: As they say las vegas is the party capital of world.
1: yes and a lot of rich and powerful people party there but with that <laughs> comes the need for protection for rich and powerful people that are trying to party so i was one of those that's what i did for my night job while well, you were still attending university, yes, yes, and what was the major
0: you were studying? What did you decide to? One of my main passions
1: in? <laughs> in life, my friend, history. History. History was my major. Yes. So you used the
0: GI Bill on your history degree. Did you I end did. up getting a bachelor's in history?
1: I did not. Um, I ended up. I was sick of struggling at that point in time. I was sick of waiting to get you know these big payments. I was sick of working all night and then going to class the next day. So I ended up like taking a semester off at one point and I was getting ready to transfer to uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, because I had enough credits to transfer. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can keep struggling or I can go back into the military. And I thought about it long and hard. And I was just like, well, if I go back into the military, I'll have that absolute stability and I can worry about the degree later. That that was, that, I, got, I was sick of living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, not even, you know, so I at first was thinking about going into the army, uh, back into the army again, but they won. They wouldn't let me be an 11 Bravo and they were giving me very few MOSs to choose from. And it just so happened when I, I was like a team leader at that point in time where I was working and I was, we had a tip pool. So I was helping like, you know, divvy out the tip pool and all that stuff. It was after it was like maybe like three something, four something in the morning And the guy who did our cameras was actually uh, FS1, which was the old um, name for uh, a culinary specialist in the Coast Guard, was a food service specialist. And he was an FS1 at a recruiting station in Las Vegas, Nevada, that is no longer open. He was like, hey, man, he's like, I know you're talking about going into the the Army and all that stuff. And he's like, before you, you know, Afghanistan was freaking peak Afghanistan at that point in time. He's like, he's like, well, Instead of subjecting yourself to all that again, he's like, "Why don't you check us out?" And I was like, "Okay." You know, long story short, that's how I ended up in the Coast Guard. To be honest, and it was a it was a it was a big process. Though so I had to get like a conditional release. I had to get, you know, had to go all the way up to the to a desk of a one star general, a brigadier general, to sign off on it. I had to write. Well, like, were you still in the reserves at the time? Yeah, you yeah. Okay, so, so you call- had a contract in the reserves. So a lot of people don't yeah. know this, but you can actually do a conditional release to release yourself from one service to another.
0: If you have intention to go to the next service, yeah. So, like so, like, so, 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 if
1: you yeah. have like a, you'll sign a new contract and all that stuff. But like at any time, as long as it gets approved by you know the right people at the right spot, like you could like leave the army to the Coast Guard, you could leave the Coast Guard to the Army.
0: Okay, because I see a lot of people on the Coast Guard Reddit they're talking about wanting to transition from the Army or the Navy, yeah. So they could file a conditional release to yep. join the Coast Guard. Yep. Now, if they're an E4, E5, though,
1: how is that? Because you were an E4 at the time. I was an E4, yes. Um, And I was, you know, damn near getting ready to make E5 at that point. Unfortunately for someone like me, I was an infantryman in the Army. The Coast Guard has no rate that actually could translate it. I couldn't just, like, show up and be like, oh, hey, like, I'm a grunt. Like, I couldn't be an ME, couldn't be a BM, couldn't be a GM right off the bat. Because, you know, that involves school. There weren't very many boot to A options. I was told the only way that I could keep my rank and go to uh, through the direct entry petty officer training program, which is like an abbreviated boot camp to get you facilitated to the Coast Guard, was if I agreed to become a cook. And that's not something you wanted to be. <laughs> no, no, I did not want to be a cook at all. Um, not my family. I like cooking for myself. My poor fiance can tell you that my culinary skills are just not not anything of great concept i knew i would just hate it and i would just get out after four years and to me this was like in my mind i was like if i'm going back into the military this is a career move this is it i'm well, gonna then, stay until i retire that
0: cs program retire, is the new depot should they've refined that over the years yeah it was called or?
1: depot um direct entry petty officer training it's mainly mostly navy dudes to be honest That could just go over and just lateral over Seagoing sea going services but if you're like if you're from like another service they demote you to e3 and i was there i was i was 25 years old newly 25 and i was on the bus with kids that were like 18 you know where i was like you know seven years prior like not even seven years prior at that point so yeah that that sucked to have to go through boot camp all over again it was not exactly uh not what i wanted but i think it was worth it in the long run you know because i love the coast guard
0: what motivation did you end up taking through boot camp, being prior service and having to go through
1: it from step one all over again? Motivated you to get through that stability, mainly just the stability, the not having to worry about like food and my, you know, where you know being able to pay like if I would be able to pay my bills or not, you know, that good paycheck, the the benefits and all that stuff. Like it was, well, the army was a very patriotic tour for me. I look at the Coast Guard as well, still being. Patriotic as well. A lot more to do with, like, you know, setting myself up and you know, a future family to be in a good position because at that point in time, I couldn't be in a relationship. I could barely take care of myself. Why would I, why would I put some woman in that situation? Yeah. You know?
0: So then, compared to your civilian life, when you transition out of the army to civilian life, there's a lot less stability, is what you're saying. With yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Day to day lifestyle. So yep. the military provided that stability that you were looking for. Yes, yes. And- because we have the consistent paychecks every two weeks and they have the housing allowances and the food allowances, mm-hmm. so all those things, you know, your guaranteed pays, it's like well, you might not get like overtime and bonuses, you still know that that's coming in every two weeks and you're, still get, you're still getting you're still
1: getting paid when you're on a four day weekend. That's why I always say people you know, mm-hmm. I remember I was in like, Well, we we'll only make X amount of dollars an hour like you're getting paid while you you sleep. It's a salary position, not an hourly position. That's apples to oranges, you can't compare it. Mhm. Well,
0: I guess as we transition into your career in the Coast Guard, we'll start that second part of the episode. Yeah, man, sounds great. Uh, but I just want to ask you, being prior service, mm. do you have any advice for people who are considering maybe they're in the army, maybe they're in the navy, and they're considering lateral and over to the Coast Guard and they're giving it heavy thought with everything going on with having to drop rank again mm. and having to
1: start over. What advice would you give these people in similar situation as you were i guess number one i would ask where you are in your career and if it's feasible um for you to do it. if you're an e4 to an e3 that sucks it could have been a loss a lot worse if i was an e5 i probably wouldn't have made that transition to be honest also you have to deal with like programs like higher tenure like you know so and right now the coast guard makes your the years that you have in already well while the higher tenure is more um it has a you, you have like a longer time in the Coast Guard than you do in the Army. It's still you, it's it's not that great because you know if you if you have four years in when you first join, that's four years against you already. They don't count. Oh, he's to make prior like E three, E four, E six. They right now there is the waiver process, um, you know. But you know, as at the same time, it's just like you really want to be at the mercy of that, open yourself up to the possibility. So that's something you have to be prepared for. Is realizing if you're prior service, you're always going to be on the clock. Now right now. Given you know recruitment needs and all that stuff, I'd say I would not have to worry about it. But who knows how things are going to be four or five years from now? So right, because right now the Coast Guard's really low on recruitment wise. Oh so yeah, yeah. They're much so more apt retention and of all to rates is accommodate. Yeah, retention of all rates, including mine, is actually very, um, very uh, high on the priority list right now. So I would say if you're like an E three or E four or whatever absolutely do it i mean i can only speak to my experiences in both and i this is not a dig at the army because i love the army it was fun it was great there are days that i miss it however for my overall happiness and my overall like just being able to have a life out like even you know even though the coast guard is very intrusive comparatively i would say like my decision was made by my actions, right? I did, I did a tour in the Army, and then I went to the Coast Guard, and I never looked back. So I would say absolutely do it, if you're in the right pay grade range, for sure. Right, so you're saying that E5 is where you'd consider,
0: well, we got to look at my life decisions yeah. at that time. but because it, it takes you E4, a long
1: time right. to make E5 in the Coast Guard, depending mm-hmm. on your rate. Yeah, some take years and Cause the that, year cause years. Because that's another thing that does. would be hard for me to describe to people from the Army, is your MOS or, you know... In the Coast Guard, we call them rates. Is depending on which way you go, it will take you a lot longer to rank up. You could be a BM, you could be a CS, and you can or an OS, you know, and you can make E five like that. But you go like a rate like ET, MST, SK, YN, stuff like that. You're gonna be an e, you're gonna you're you're gonna it's gonna be a while before you make E five.
0: Right, so especially yeah. if someone's looking to transition yeah. to primarily get to shoreside yeah. rate, maybe yeah. they're in the Navy and they want to transition to the Coast Guard because yeah. they want more shore time and stuff, those rates typically
1: might take longer to promote. Yep, yeah, you, and you have to right. be comfortable with that and also know that the clock is ticking at all times. So you may end up feel like you're forced to do, mathematically, it might be the most prudent decision for you to do a rate that you might not want to do. If that makes any sense, depending on life circumstances, it's depending on life circumstances, yeah. So yeah, if you if you were an army cook and you're E five and you're just like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go join the Coast Guard and be a cook in the Coast Guard. Yeah, absolutely, fucking do it, um, because you'll make E five again, like within like maybe two years, like not long at all. But the other eights, good luck, buddy. Well, I remember even a boot camp, my battalion
0: commander, Master Chief Storekeeper Lawrence, he yep. was uh, prior Marine Corps, and he was able to work his way all the way there to so once you get to a certain point though is higher tenure an issue if you maybe get to like chief or first class you still have to wear at the higher tenure as you well, so
1: earlier. once you make e6 um you basically are good to go um you're good to go to retirement although at tw- if you want to do more than 20 years and you're still in e6 you still have to put in a waiver um which nowadays they're granting depending on where i'm at in my life and what billets are open for me like i might end up you know, doing more than 20, but that's a discussion I'll have to have with my soon to be wife in the other room over there, like where we're at. Right, because if you get in a nice shore-side position and you're just doing a day job essentially. And I'm like, we have, we have a house bot, and I so can still have all the government there. benefits that they're. Yeah, because finding. I mean, you know, my retirement will increase every year, so it would make more sense for me to just stay in because it's like I'm just working a day job. Mm-hmm. But if it's like I have to go move across the, side, the other side of the country, I'd have to geo batch, you know, and be on like some like a whimsel and be gone for like, you know, long amounts of times. Well, then I got to think of my family and my marriage. So,
0: right. So it's all
1: about big life circumstances at yep, the time
0: yep. as to should I make these decisions or not? So you got to yep. view your individual life circumstance to see, is this the right decision for me? If you come to that conclusion, though, nothing but good things to say since you're yeah. <laughs> just like
1: you've had oh, an yeah, amazing uh, time. Oh, yeah. I've had an amazing time. I mean, Jesus Christ, we just came back from Greenland. And we'll get into that in the next episode because we we'll uh. want
0: to talk about Greenland as well. Uh. Um, but for this episode now uh, about prior military service and the transition over the Coast Guard, uh, thank you for your time, SK2, and your insight. Uh, we haven't had anyone from prior military experience come on yet, so yeah. to be able to have this conversation about a different service and just how different and similarities and transition and over, yep. it was a really nice, comprehensive time, and I really enjoyed hearing about your history of just how you ended up where you are today.
1: Yeah, man. It's been, it's, it's, it's honestly like it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh coming over and sharing a glass of whiskey and lunch, you know, and you know, asking questions about my life experience, you know, like it's, it's a, it's been awesome, you know, like it's, it's overall, I feel like it's just been one big adventure. Like I, I don't know how many people in the world can say that they're a combat infantryman and a permanent cutterman, but I can say that. Surf and turf. I'm surfing turf. Yeah. Surf and turf. <laughs> like, uh, brag daddy was saying the other day like and that's true like that's really cool like, that's like a very unique thing and like, very you know, unique that's like point of reference not many people have that title in history <laughs> so that's like yeah even just little things like that man
0: yeah well i'll Worth tell you it. my glass of whiskey is empty and we're about to start our second episode so we're gonna have to take a break here and get ready but Sounds please everyone More whiskey Thank you for listening to SK2. He's a really amazing story, and we look forward to hearing you on the next episode. He's going to talk all about the storekeeper raid and and how he became a storekeeper. So we look forward to having you in the next episode, and thank you again, SK2. Thank you, buddy.